0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. I'm so, um, glad to be here. I'm so grateful to see all of your smiling faces, also those who are joining us online. Can we give it up for our online audience? Thank you guys so much for for being with us today. Um, I hope you guys can sense the, the presence of God in here today. I hope that even our online audience can sense uh, what God is doing um, in this atmosphere today. So I, I want to jump into uh, the message because I believe that, that we just wanna, don't want to belabor the point. So if you have your Bibles, I, I want to invite you to, to join me in the Gospel of John chapter 6. The Gospel of John chapter 6, and um, we're continuing in our Signs series this is where we're basically going through the, the gospel of John, at least the first 11 chapters, and, and unpacking some of these powerful signs that we've seen uh, Jesus do that were very unique, that set him apart from everything else we had seen in Scripture up to this point. It really begins to show us the, the authority and the, uh, the anointing that uniquely set Jesus apart. And, and ultimately, the, the reason for these signs were to do something inside of us. It was meant to give birth to belief in Jesus, but also an expectation that if he did it for them, he can and will do it for us. That's that's ultimately what I want you to walk away with, with each week that we preach, is looking at these things, stirring up faith, and then walking away and saying, if he did it for them, he can and he will do it for me. He can and will do it for my family. He can and will do it for us, and that's ultimately the journey that we're on. I also want to invite you, if you haven't checked out our podcast, After the Message, I believe that's a great practical way for you to begin to engage the message beyond Sunday. I get an opportunity to kind of preach, and it's a two-way street to a certain extent, um, but our After the Message podcast is a great conversational setting where, where Pastor Nate and different members of the team are able to expound and talk about the practicalities that sometimes um, time doesn't afford me to do um, on a Sunday morning, so please go and check that So, starting at verse number 1 in John chapter 6, the Bible says this. This is, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing and healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So, when Jesus looked up and noticed the huge crowd toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so that these people... Can eat. He asked him this to test him, for he knew himself what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for these to have. Ultimately, what Philip is saying is that 200 denarii that translates to about $75 in our current context, but with inflation, it translated to being about six months of income because the magnitude of people that was there. So Philip began to look at this from a very practical standpoint. We don't have enough to make a difference in their lives. But verse number eight says, As one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Just the men. As you can see, there was a boy there and other children there. We also know that there were wives and families there. So what many guesstimate is that it was at least 20,000. Some say as high as 40,000. But even if we lowball it, there's 20,000 people there, 5,000 men and the rest of the family. So you can imagine the, the size of this crowd and the needs that are there. And, and Jesus says for them to sit down in their place. Then Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed to them, to those who were seated so also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were all full, he told his disciples, "Collected the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Somebody say nothing wasted. nothing wasted. So they collected them and filled the 12 basket with pieces of the five barley loaves and the leftovers for those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign had he had done, they said, truly, the prophet has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You see, the people recognized something in what Jesus had just done. And they said, man, like, this is clearly the Messiah. This is clearly the one that, that Moses talked about that we know that is coming. So, so let's go ahead and put him on a throne right now. But they had a very limited perspective because if Jesus were to go onto the throne in that moment, it would have put an expiration date on his kingdom. Jesus understood and knew that in order for me to have an eternal kingdom, it requires me to die on a cross and then to rise again from the grave. And that will then allow my my sacrifice to transcend time. Have you ever had a moment where you wanted to get Jesus to fit into your perfect little program? Have you ever had moments where you said, this is, I clearly need Jesus to fit into this space and only this space, but he says, no, I need to to do something much bigger. And that's exactly what this text is helping us to understand that maybe, just maybe, that God has a perspective that we ourselves don't have. Today I want to talk to us about this perspective and, and the importance of us making sure that we have an eternal perspective and the things that God has placed in our hands and this is a thought that i've traced all throughout the course of scripture and i 've entitled today 's message nothing wasted nothing wasted let 's pray and let 's see what it is the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. Heavenly Father, I ask that you you speak to us today. we feel your presence here there's great expectations and Moments where we have anticipations for the miracle that you're going to do in our lives because we stand on the fact that your word declares that you don't have favorites. You don't have respecter of persons. So we anchor ourselves in this truth that if you did it for them, you can and will do it for us. So Lord, I pray right now for open eyes that we can see you. I pray for open ears that we can hear you. And I pray for open hearts that we can receive everything that you have for us. It's in Jesus' most powerful and unmatched name that we pray. Amen. And amen. I I, want to pose a question to us just because I've been in this space probably for the past five years. Do I have any HGTV fans in the building, online, HGTV? Not as many as I thought. We are not a crafty group at all. And that's okay. There's, there's, there's no judgment, there's no shade. I, I remember um, when I first started watching HGTV, it was always at my mom's house, and they would love watching Chip and Joanna, looking at all these different things. And, and there's a part of me that I really wish that I had that creative ability, that creative skill set that allowed me to, to look at something that's, that's broken, that's dilapidated, seeing the potential in things. So every time I watch HGTV, I see the, the ingenuity, the creativity that the these individuals have of how they can look at something that is broken and see the potential in it. I wish I had that. We have our pastor, Pastor Lindsay. She is phenomenal at these things. Like I see some of the projects that she has, and I'm like, I would have just thrown it away and burned it. Like I would have never thought that there was any value in that and all these random pieces. But, but my father, he's one of the ones that I've really grown to admire and respect. Like He loves to, to go into to buildings and, and fix them up. He, he loves to buy homes, and he, he loves to, to fix them up. But the thing that I've learned and what I've watched with him in his passion for fixing things up is that I've realized that there are no scrap pieces. Like even when he like cuts and, and puts up drywall and there may be a small piece of drywall that's left, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, just, just throw it out away. Like it's a small little chunk. I remember one time I, I went to go and try to help him out. I have no skills. So I'm literally just there to observe and put things in the trash as I've been told. But as I'm looking at little random pieces, I'm like, well, he's not telling me to do anything. So I'll just start cleaning up. So I start picking up random pieces of plywood and things and start throwing them away. He said, what, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to clean. I'm trying to help you out. I'm doing you a favor and you're welcome. Like, I'm, I'm trying my best to, to help out, but he said, no, like, those, those pieces, I can use them. I'm like, it's just a small little, it's just a small little board. It, it, it doesn't look like it has any value. It's like, no, there's a, there's a place that I could put it. I see value in every piece. Um, imagine living in a world where we see value in every piece. Uh, Imagine looking in the mirror and seeing the fractured parts of our lives that we ourselves have convinced ourselves that this has no value, so let me throw it away. This pain point that I've experienced has no value, so let me try to sweep it under the rug. Uh, Imagine if we lived with the perspective that my dad has when he's looking at these broken down homes and these pieces that are left and saying, no, there's value in this because I can see how this can support the whole I believe that the enemy has convinced us that there's only parts of us that God sees value in. I believe that we've been convinced by by the enemy, which we know that the enemy is lying when he's talking because Jesus said that the truth is not in him. I believe there's moments where he's telling us, like, no, that, that, that disqualifies you. You don't have any value as a result of that. But I'm so grateful that when God looks at us, he sees value in us. He sees value in our messiness. He sees value in the things that are good. He sees value in the broken things. This is why the redemptive blood of Jesus is so powerful, because it transcends time. It allows him to go back and even use the broken, messy pieces and use it for the whole. God looks at you, and he sees value in every aspect of our lives. I think this is beautifully accentuated in the story of Joseph. Genesis tells us a story about this man named Joseph. And if you you heard anything about Joseph, Joseph was a man who who had dreams and, and visions. He actually saw what God was going to do in his life. And what scripture tells us is that he saw himself in a position of prominence and authority. He saw himself being a person that could have impact and influence. He begins to share these stories with his brothers who weren't quite ready to receive it. So he was favored by his father's but hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, but that favor was still with him, was then put into prison, but that favor was still with him, was falsely accused, and that favor was still with him. And through all of those messy, crazy, toxic seasons, somehow he continued to move forward until he gets to a place where he's in a position to literally save two nations. You got to go back and check it out. There's a moment where he's standing in front of his brothers, the very brothers who hated on him, the very brothers who sold him into slavery, and now they're fearful because they're afraid of retribution. But, but what Joseph says to them, what you meant for evil, God actually used it for good. I, I want us to grab a hold of that. Because I think somebody needs to get the revelation that maybe the enemy had put some things in your life that were meant for evil, but God is using it for the good. There is nothing that you've experienced, that you've walked through, that the redemptive blood of Jesus cannot use it. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter eight when he says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who were called according to his purpose. You know who's called according to the purpose? It's the people that respond to it. And if you understand that no matter what season I've Going through, no matter what setbacks I've had, no matter what struggles I've got. It doesn't say that God causes all things, but what it does say is that he can work all things. So even that setback, even that random peace, even that broken pain that you've experienced, even that divorce, even that abuse that you've gone through, God has the ability to use it for his glory. I've learned this lesson in my life the hard way, that nothing is wasted in the hands of Jesus. That if you can just get it into the hands of Jesus, it will not go to waste. That he has an ability to use it to make impact in his kingdom. This is the biblical narrative. This is the narrative that we see in Scripture. So as we find ourselves looking at this text right here, I believe that it's, that it's saturated with this idea of understanding that there's not a single thing that we go through that is wasted. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. It's around Passover time, and and what we understand is that there's so many people that have migrated to Jerusalem. Jesus is doing his miracles, and so many people are are looking and and trying to find this this miracle maker, so they catch wind about this man named Jesus. And what the Bible says is that they begin to pursue him. Jesus has just finished performing some incredible miracles, and he needs to retreat for a little bit. He wants to recharge. He wants to relax. He wants to kind of spend some time with his disciples. So he withdraws away from the crowd so that he himself can be refreshed. But the Bible says this. It says that when he withdraws, that the people were aware of where he was going, and they pursued him. Let me, let me give us some context to that. Jesus is on a boat. He goes about 10 miles away. He goes about 10 miles into another direction, and the people were aware of where he was going into the wilderness, into this isolated location, and they pursued him. Uphill in an isolated location, and they pursued him. 10 miles, and they pursued him. It wasn't convenient, but they pursued him. They didn't quite know what they were gonna get when they caught up with him but there was some anticipation inside of them that said, but yet I'm still going to pursue Jesus. Now, now let me help you understand. It was the primary way of transportation, so walking wasn't that big of a deal. However, they were walking in a direction and didn't know what to expect. And so the reason why the biblical writers want to highlight that is because they were giving Jesus the same energy they would give anything else. Did you catch that? They were pursuing Jesus the same way they would pursue anything else. Imagine if we pursued Jesus just like we pursue getting the new Jordans that's coming out. Uh, imagine if we pursued Jesus the same way that we were saving up for our new car and new homes. Come on, we're going to go there. Uh, imagine if we pursue Jesus with this tenacity that says that I'm not going to let go until I get exactly what God has for me. See, my, my son, he, he plays football. You guys have heard me um, share these stories. And so his team is not the best. Like, I mean, they're, they're trying. Um, their 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 future is academic, um, for sure. But so there's this one game. I'm at this one game. And so I, I'm, I'm watching the game, and, and I don't remember what the score quite is. I just remember... Spoiler alert, they weren't winning. And, and the amount of time that was left, there was no mathematical way that they were going to win. Like, it was like in the third quarter, they were down by several touchdowns. And so it was like, at this point, let's, let's just get this thing over with type of moment. Not me, because I'm, I'm cheering them on, but you know, like, it's, let's, just, let's just get this thing over with, man. I can still redeem the night if we get out of here early enough. So it's one of those, it's one of those type nights. Well, the other team, they broke three, and, and, they're, and they're like running down the field. And I see this one guy on my son's team, chasing this guy down. Now understand, they're down by about five touchdowns. So you would just think it's like, hey man, let's, let's chalk it up. But this dude is chasing this guy down full speed and manages to tackle him at the two yard line. I was like, this, that guy got some heart. It was my baby boy. Caleb had chased this dude down. He said, not on my watch. They scored the next play but that doesn't <laughs> help my point. <laughs> but he but he but he chased them down and re- prevented them from scoring. And I was just so impressed at that. Whether it was my son or not, I love the idea that he had this mentality that said that even though we may be down, I'm still going to chase this guy down. Even though we may not win, I'm going to chase this guy down. It made me think, imagine if we chase down our blessings the same way that we chase down things in the world. and saying it to ourselves that I don't care how down I am, I'm still going to pursue Jesus. I don't care what my setbacks are, I'm still going to chase down everything that God's for me. I'm talking about the type of pursuit that says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will pray about this. I will fast about this. I will study about this. I will worship through this, but I will not let go until I see the breakthrough. I want you to understand that your pursuit is not wasted. Because many of us have been pursuing God and we're wondering if it's going to go to waste, but I want to encourage you that your pursuit is not wasted. We got to have that tenacity that makes a decision that says that I'm going to chase down everything that God has for me. The Bible says that these people, they had chased Jesus down, 20,000 of them, had said, I need to get into the presence of Jesus. So what Scripture says is that as Jesus is with his disciples, he looks up and he sees them, and, and, and he's moved with compassion. This, this narrative is actually found in the other gospel accounts as well. So if you want to get a full picture, read this story in the different gospels to get a very like high-definition, 360-degree perspective of the text. But what it says is that Jesus looks at them, and he is moved with compassion. See, compassion is is something that's deep in your soul. It means to be compelled to act. Let me say it this way. Compassion is more than I'm praying for you. Compassion is more than thoughts and prayers. Compassion is I'm going to do everything I can do to help move you forward. Compassion isn't. You put yourself in this position. Stepped on toe one. <laughs> still early. I still got 13 minutes. Compassion isn't any of that. Compassion isn't understanding how we got here. What matters is we find ourselves in the same place at the same time, and Jesus was moved with compassion. Certainly, he could have said, you guys knew you were going to be following me. Why didn't you pack a lunch? Oddly enough, that's, that's not in text. He's moved with compassion. He wants to do something about it. So he, he turns around and says, like, Where? Where can, we, where can we get enough bread that we can feed all of these people? When you read this account in another translation and through another gospel, it actually says that one of the disciples said to Jesus, go ahead and send them off and let them find their own resources. Isn't it interesting how people that are followers of Christ are the quickest to dismiss the suffering of other people? Send them away. Send them away. Let them go and figure it out on their own. 12 minutes and 45 seconds. <laughs> Jesus Jesus said, "No, we're going to do something about it right now." So so Philip steps up. Philip comes on the scene and so you need to understand about Philip. Is Philip is profoundly practical. From the very beginning, when we see him introduced in the biblical narrative, Philip is very practical. He's very analytical, and I'm grateful for practical, analytical people. I am actually very practical and analytical. So, so Philip brings out the calculator, and he says, okay, carry the one. Okay, so Jesus, we got about 20,000 people here, okay? Um, we, we, we don't even have 200 denarii. That's, that's six months' worth of income. We ain't got it. We, we can't do anything about it. Have you ever had those moments where you see the size of your problem, and then you bring out the calculator to recognize the deficit, and it completely corrodes your faith? I, I, see, I see the size of the problem, and I see what I'm working with. There is no faith filling the gap. It's just saying that it's literally impossible. I am so grateful that David didn't use a calculator when he was facing Goliath. Because you can imagine that if he was looking at things through the lens of practicality, there's nothing in him, a person who's never been at war, nothing in him that would even give him the impression that he would be successful against fighting against a man who was defined as a champion. To be defined as a champion means that you kill 100 people a year. That's Goliath. His armor weighed more than David. His spear weighed more than David. But when David saw the size of the giant, he didn't emphasize the size of him. He measured him to the size of his God. What if our perspective was the type of perspective that we didn't allow a calculator to dictate our faith? We began to measure our problems by the size of our God and say that, okay, here's, you know, an exchange of payment. Things are going the way that they're supposed to go. I get up to the next window and they say, "Hey, um, do you have any cups in your car?" what <laughs> do you, do you do you have any cups in your car? Why Because we don't have any cups in the building. What? And this is... Because of COVID, we don't have any cups in the building. Our delivery didn't come in. So if you have a cup in your car, no matter the size, they try to sell it like it was a good thing, we will <laughs> fill that cup for you. I s- "Wait, Wait a minute. Why did you take my drink order <laughs> if you don't have any cups to put it in? They're like, well, hey, what some people have been doing, and and we're going to offer this, is you can go across the street and you can buy like one of those big gallon things and bring it back. And I was like, can't you do that? I did my part. I showed up. I placed my order. I gave you the money. I don't want to have to leave and come back. Why do I have to do that? He's like, I'm so sorry, sir, but we, we ran out of cups. And so I'm like, how do you expect me to receive the drink if I don't have a cup? Then the Holy Spirit began to quicken in me. He said, "You know, so many people show up in my presence, and they don't have a cup to receive what I want to pour out in their lives. Oof! <laughs> what if, what if our discipline and our obedience became the cup that God poured His blessings into?" And we're showing up saying, God, I want you to pour out a blessing. He's like, but can you be disciplined? We're asking God to pour something into our hands when he wants to pour out something so much bigger and bring us to a place of overflow. But the only way that we can begin to accumulate what God wants to do in our lives is it's going to require us to live a life of discipline and obedience. Discipline means being consistent. Discipline means following through. Discipline means being where God has told you to be at. God is saying, I want to pour some things into your life, but are you bringing your discipline? discipline? discipline and your obedience into these environments because I got something that I want to pour out into your life. The Bible says this, that you open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that I don't have room enough to receive it. The Bible says that my cup runneth over. The Bible talks about Elijah and the widow woman. And he said, bring me every vessel that you have because I'm going to pour out a blessing until you don't have any more vessels. We are the vessels of God. Our discipline positions us to receive everything that God has for us, but we got to be willing to show up and to follow through on what God is calling us to do. God is telling them, I need you to sit down. I need you to get some things in order. I need you to be disciplined because there's some things I want to pour into your life, and you're so consumed with getting them into your hands when I want to get them into your heart. I want it to go so much further than you can even ask or think. The Bible talks about how they put him in a position, and then Jesus begins to do what only Jesus can do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and join me, because this is where it gets so profoundly good, because the Bible says that when Jesus is there, he, he takes the, the loaves of bread, he takes the, the fish, and it says he blesses them, and then he breaks them, and then he distributes them to every single person that's there. He, he blesses them, then he breaks it, and every single person gets more Than enough. That means that even the things that God blesses sometimes do get broken. But even if they do get broken, it's so that it can benefit others because God is a God of more than enough. Maybe, maybe you've actually thought because you've experienced brokenness that you're not blessed. What if I were to tell you? that because you are blessed, God trusts you with the broken parts because he knows that you will steward your life where you will say that nothing is wasted. I've, I've had to learn this lesson the hard way, that nothing is wasted in the hands of Jesus. I've, I've had to learn this the hard way, that we are not cursed with pain. Sometimes we're trusted with it. And God wants to see how do we steward our lives, because maybe through the things that he blesses and that are broken, it can benefit so many other people. Last Sunday, we had such an amazing time in the presence of God. An incredible service. We preached about no excuses, and I I sat out there in the The foyer and and talked with many of you and laughed and and joked and interacted with so many of you like clockwork like clockwork my mom typically texts me and tells me how i'm the best preacher in the entire world (laughs) to which i say you're right i say thank you mom thank you mom I'm, i'm grateful thank you for watching thank you for for your encouragement nothing like an encouragement from your mom I get that text like clockwork. It pops up on my watch. Cool. It's just like it's supposed to be. But literally three minutes later, she calls me. And she's fully, she's fully aware that I'm at church. She's fully aware that I'm, I'm talking and I'm mingling and I'm interacting with people. She's fully aware of that. So she typically wouldn't call unless it's something really, really important. So I, I, I excuse myself from, from the conversation. I'm like, okay, let me, let me check and see what's going on. I pick up the phone, I'm like, hey mom, and I can hear in her voice that she is distraught. That's not something that's easy for my mom. Profound woman of faith, but she is distraught. I can hear it in her voice. I'm like, mom, what's going on? She's like, Keith, we, we've had another death in the family. I, reason, I say the word another because we've had, a, we've, had a, we've had a run over the past couple of years with people in our family. So I said, what? I'm like, what, what happened? She's like, "Yeah, yeah it's your cousin. I, I don't know what happened, but, but he's gone. 25 years old. Raised with Daniera. My whole family we were intertwined. We were very, 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 very close. I remember standing out there numb, literally stunned. And I want to apologize now if you would talk with me after that conversation, because I genuinely don't remember it. It was a blur. And I'm I'm trying to just get through the moment. After that conversation ends and, and I talk with a couple of people and I'm, I sit down on a bench, I, I go to our staff and they, they, they pray for me. I go home and I begin this process of trying to make sense of it all. That grief begins to hit and it comes in waves and we all understand the, the magnitude of it. I also understood the, the likelihood that, that I would be called upon to, to, you, to, to use my gifts to encourage the family in the funeral. Can I tell you that was probably the hardest thing in the world that I've ever done because I'm, I'm grieving myself, but I know I, I have this pastoral mantle and this opportunity to encourage my family. And so we power through it. Yesterday we, we have his funeral services and just an outpouring of love and family and just An amazing amount of friends are all at his services just honoring him and and telling funny stories about him, and it's amazing. I'm using every ounce of strength to keep my composure, keep myself together. He was like a distant son to me. But then there's a moment where it's my time to share the gospel with over 200 friends that may have never heard it. So I knew it was an opportunity for me to just share about the love and blood of Jesus. It wasn't a long, profound, prolific message, but I just simply shared that Jesus loves you. He he loves you so much that that he died on the cross as you so that he could spend eternity with you. Super simple. We went to the repast when we went to go and eat and spend more time with friends. Five of his friends gave their life to Christ. Others said it reignited the relationship that they already had. What God made abundantly clear to me is that even our grief, he can use it. That even our, our pain, he can use it. That, that even our disappointment, he can use it. I have seen God do some, some profound things, even in the moments where we felt him the least. What I want you to understand is that nothing is wasted in the hands of Jesus. The death of a loved one, he will use it. The promotion on your job, he will use it. The child that's not saved yet, he will use it. That the grace of God knows no boundaries and no limits. That God is able to use every single thing in our lives and he ensures that nothing is wasted in the hands of Jesus. What what are the broken pieces in your life that you've held on to that you just haven't put into the hands of Jesus yet? Because I believe if we can trust him with these things, we will see that he is a provider. He knows how to provide strength. He knows how to provide hope. He knows how to provide love. He knows how to provide stability. He knows how to use these opportunities to create opportunities for people to say yes to the gospel for the first time. Maybe what has happened to you is meant to be put into the hands of Jesus so that Jesus can begin to do an amazing work of redemptive restoration and salvation. He's a provider. We're gonna go into this song that I believe beautifully encapsulates the nature of God. It's called Jireh. And the words of this song are so powerful because it reminds us that no matter what we're in need of, he'll provide it. No matter what the lack is, he'll provide it. But the most important thing is what he provides is himself. He is more than enough. No matter what we are facing, he is more than enough. There's not a tangible thing that can be provided to me that will deal with the grief that I feel with losing my cousin. But the presence of God is more than enough. He's a provider. You're already loved. You've already chosen. You're more than enough because you have Jesus. That doesn't give us a license to sin it empowers us not to. So what I want us to do, I want us all to stand on our feet. I want us to think about the, the broken pieces that maybe we don't see value in anymore. I want us to look at the things that we're ready to discard and, and, and maybe consider that these things are all lost. And I want us to consider, let's put this into the hands of Jesus and let's allow the provider to breathe on it. Let's allow him to multiply it and have an impact that literally transitions death to life because that is the miracle of what Jesus has done. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you heard today. If you'd like more content like this, or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.